I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 139. So I took your advice and I finally watched Emily in Paris. And it was so cute. It was, look, y'all, we were eating the other day and she like comes at me with some names I had no idea. And I was like, wait, what? She was like, at the end, I was like, oh, okay. She was talking like I knew these people. Well, you should. But see, again, I have watched it like a month ago. Mm-hmm. So I forgot about it, and then I was like, oh, okay, let me go back into that mindset. Man, don't you hate, though, when you're watching something, and you don't know you're on the last episode, like, of the season, and it ends, and you're like, okay, play the next one. Uh-huh. Motherfucker, it's over. Yeah, you didn't get to enjoy it as much, because you were like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and what's going to happen next? Right. Wait, what? That's it- a cliffhanger? It's the equivalent of someone taking your last good bite. I think that only applies to you. Look, if y'all don't save your last couple of bites for your favorite part of your meal, are you even living? I mean, I do that, but it will ruin your whole fucking day if someone takes, like, it'll be a communal tray of whatever, and she'll have her eye on something, but she won't get it, and then if someone gets it, she's like, I was, that's the one I wanted. That is the one I wanted. Okay, it is not that bad. It's more so like my meal. Like, don't wait till I have like three bites left and be like, can I taste that? Fucking no, these are the best bites. You can't taste this. Look, just don't ask Carrie for her food, okay? No, I'm a stingy bitch when it comes to food and money. <laughs> <laughs> more so food. True. Honestly. She'd True. be like, oh, you need $100? Okay, here. Wait, you want this? I might have a family size, but uh, no. You are messing up my system when uh-huh. you take my food. <laughs> because I have a system for eating. Because I'm a little kooky. I gotta eat everything in twos. <laughs> a little kooky. You know who's not a little kooky? Well, they may be, actually. Cookie's a good thing. I don't mean that in a bad way. Kind of. <laughs> I just thought you were gonna say kooky, spooky dooky. I don't know what all rhymes for you. Oh, my God. Speaking of, and then I swear we're gonna get to the point. The other day, I wish that I had the... I don't know what happened to my paparazzi skills at this point. Probably because I was on the interstate. But I got behind an 18-wheeler that was dirty and how people write stuff in the dirt. And it legit, somebody wrote spooky dookie. (laughs) I was like, they're my people. Right? They see me. I see them. (laughs) Okay, back to who may or may not be kooky. Patreoners! Thank you so much, Santrell V from Texas. Texas. Amy K. from South Carolina. Monica M. from Tennessee. Justin B. from Missouri. Candy L. from Texas. Megan F. from Texas. Morgan K. from Louisiana. And Jeannie V. from California. Well, hopefully y'all enjoy all the spooky dooky that y'all are getting with all the extra stuff. And if you people listening want to shout out, go on over to www.patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast. All right, let's get to it. We're going to talk about the couple, Gary Matson and Winfield Mowder. Gary and Winfield were a couple that had been together for about 14 years, and they lived in Happy Valley, California, just outside Reading. Gary was 50 years old, had a master's degree in environmental horticulture, and he had originally been married to a lady named Marsha and had a daughter, But Gary later came out as being gay, and that is when he met and fell in love with Winfield. 
Winfield had a bachelor's degree in anthropology, and together he and Gary owned and operated a nursery around town. You know, plants and shit. The couple was well-loved in their community, and the story takes place around 1999, and even though it was still in the late 90s, they were really accepted in this small town in California. They worked a lot at the local farmer's market where they had a booth, and everybody loved them, sought them out for their all their horticulture needs. Well, picture it. July 1st, 1999, Gary's father calls Gary's house, and when he gets the answering machine, he hears an outgoing message that basically says, like, <coughs> we're sick, we're going to be out for about a week, we have to go see a specialist in San Francisco. See you in a week, kind of thing. <coughs> right? Yeah. And his dad's like, mm, I literally just saw them last night, and they were fine, like, Certainly not sick enough to be like, we got to go see a specialist in San Francisco. See you in a week. He was like, that's weird. But he didn't have his hearing aids in, so he's like, "Mm, let me call my other son. Let me call Roger. So Roger's like, wait, what? So he calls and listens to the outgoing message, and he goes, that's not Gary. Like, that is not his voice on that recording. And then he hears a voice in the background of that recording go, just calm down. And so he's like, what the fuck? This is not Gary. This is not Winfield. Like, who the fuck is this? So he decides to go over to their house. Who changes their outgoing message besides uh, Blake Shelton in that song, If This Is Austin? Not Gary. Yeah, not Gary and not Winfield. When he gets there, he finds the couple laying in their bed completely naked, covered in blood. Oh, no. Twenty-two caliber shell casings were all over the floor, and there was blood everywhere. All over the ceilings, all over the walls, everywhere. When police got there, though, it was weird. There were no signs of forced entry, and at first, there really didn't look like there was any signs of a robbery. Their station wagon was missing, but police ended up finding that later, just about 50 miles away. From what the police can deduce from the crime scene, the couple was forced to take off their clothes and get into their bed, and it was this huge platform bed that's about seven feet off the ground. So they said that the killer had to stand on chairs at the foot of the bed to kill them. Oh my gosh. Why would they make them get up in their bed then? Well, I have an idea, but we'll get there. Okay. Gary had been shot five times in the head and one time in the back, and Winfield had been shot seven times in the head and once in the neck. Oh, gosh. It was way overkill. Mm Mm-hmm. Police have no idea why these two men were murdered, much less in such a gruesome way, but murdered, period. When they start looking into their backgrounds... They see how well-loved they are in the community, and no one can think of anyone who would want to hurt them. The only lead that police had, and it was not even really a lead, they realized that their credit card had been taken. Police called the company, and they were like, has there been any activity on this card? No. So they kept calling and kept calling every, you know, 
12 hours every day. And a few days after the murder, police got a hit on the credit card. The credit card was used at a company in Arizona that specializes in ammunition reloading equipment. Almost $2,300 of reloading equipment and gun belts was purchased with the couple's credit card. Wow. Well, that's fitting for how much fucking overkill there was. Fuck that person using their credit card to purchase other shit. Mm Mm-hmm. When police do some more digging, they realize that the equipment is set to be shipped to a private mailbox firm in care of Gary Matson. Obviously, not him who's ordering it. So police are like, okay, well, we got to go to this mailbox. Like, we got to go see what's up. Well, by sheer coincidence, police get there just as the person comes to pick the order up from the mailbox what the fuck and when they get there police realize it's not one but two men they get out and they start loading heavy boxes from the mailbox into their car police of course draw their guns tell them to get on the ground and at first they seem to comply but then one of the men was kind of acting like he wasn't going to comply like Almost like he was ready to die by suicide, but by police officers. Mm -hmm. But eventually, both of the men complied, and they realized that the one who was acting like he wasn't going to, he was wearing a bulletproof vest and had a fanny pack on that had a 9mm Glock and had Gary's driver's license and credit cards in it. Wow. Also, a fanny pack. That carries a gun. Like, (laughs) so unassuming. Police realize that they now have in custody Matthew and Tyler Williams and their brothers. Matthew and Tyler are their middle names, but that's what they go by, so whatever. We hate them. They take the brothers into custody, and they're not saying anything. In fact, Matthew, like, yells through the wall to Tyler, like, keep your mouth shut. So here's what we know about the Williams brothers. They had grown up in a very strict religious household. They were homeschooled up until I think about high school, and then they went to public school. They were pretty much loners, kind of kept to themselves. Their father was very anti-government, which ironic because he was in the military. But he was very anti-government, very extremist when it came to religious beliefs, and instilled that in the boys to basically hate anyone who was different from them. They sound like a lovely family. Mm-hmm. After high school, Matthew actually joined the Navy, and Tyler went to college. In 1993, after Matthew had gotten out of the Navy, he went to college as well at the University of Idaho. When he got there, he started looking for a church that supported his ideals and the way he was raised. And he started going to this church called Living Faith Fellowship. It was around this time that he really started getting interested, but let's just call it obsessed, with white supremacy literature and anti-Semitic literature. Lovely. Mm -hmm. During this time, Matthew became really good friends with this guy named Daniel Martin. 
everything I've seen didn't really say that he and Daniel had some of the same ideals, but I feel like if your best friend's a white supremacist, you probably are too. There were quite a few different news articles that interviewed Daniel, and this story was on the Oxygen show Killer Siblings. I mean, hello, obviously. Spoiler alert, but hello. And he was actually on that episode. So I'm not really sure if he had some of those same ideals, but my guess would be he did, but I'm thinking he came to his senses. Mm-hmm. But Daniel and Matthew were really good friends. Daniel said that Matthew was different and incredibly inquisitive, but a bit compulsive. I feel attacked. Right. The two were good friends for about four years and then just kind of drifted apart, which I think there's more to that story. We'll talk about it later, though. Mm. Around this time, Matthew started thinking that the church that he was going to, the Living Faith Fellowship, was actually a cult. I almost said, uh, sounds like a cult. It sounds like a Scientology church. Uh-huh. Which is a cult. Yes, but it sounds like specifically a Scientology church, you know? Yes. We have this place here. I don't even know the name of it, but it's that all-white building. Mm-hmm. That With has the, blue, the blue lights that look like a cop every freaking time. Yeah, and their exit sign's blue, which is weird. Yes. But anyway, like I'm like, what the cult is going on there? I don't know what it's even called because I'm like, I don't want to look. I don't want to be on some kind of fucking camera. And they're like, scan her eyes. What is her name? It like, also has lions outside. Yeah, like I don't know like, what it is. Sculpted lions. And it's in the most weird place. Like... I don't know. I don't fucking know, but it's very weird. But I feel like their name would be something like this. Mm -hmm. But if you live in Hattiesburg and you go to that place, sorry, but also let me know what it's called and what is it. Yeah. So he thinks this church is a cult and he tells Daniel like, bruh, I think this is a cult. Like we should get out. And Daniel's like, "Mm, but it's not. Well, Matthew was of the mindset that the laws of God override the laws of man. And he had a lot of trouble at churches. Like, I'm talking got kicked out of a few churches because he had such extreme views. Basically, at this point now, Matthew has gotten so tired of getting kicked out of the churches that he decided that it was time for him to start his own thing. And so who better to help him than his brother Tyler? That is that's not a good plan. That's a cult. Yes. At this point now, Matthew and Tyler are back together, starting to form some sort of a church, but not really a church. Right now, it's just them, and it's not anything that's like really formal. But Matthew's looking to expand. So who does he think of? Old buddy, old pal, Daniel Martin. While he's looking for Daniel, he calls a mutual friend, and he's like, hey, have you seen Daniel? And the mutual friend's like, yeah, but you heard he's gay, right? And Matthew starts bawling, crying on the phone. Like, is so distraught because his good friend is gay. And that goes against everything he was ever taught, which is dumb. Yes, and oh, oh, God, I hate this guy. Here's the thing, though. He was brought up thinking that being homosexual was evil and violating God's laws and all that bullshit. Daniel Martin says that 
This is his quote. I knew inside I was gay, but I hadn't come to terms with what that was going to be for me. He goes on to talk about this is him and Matthew. He says, we never talked about our sexuality. And he says that he feels like that may have been Matthew's breaking point. Because there was really nothing like what set it off for him and Tyler to kill Gary and Winfield. Like, what the fuck, right? How did they even know one another? Right. Well, they did know each other. Not super well, but they were acquaintances. They both had booths at that local farmer's market. And that's how they met one another. So that's why police think that there was no forced entry. Because... Knock, knock, knock. Oh, hey, it's Matthew from the farmer's market. Hey, what's up? Come on in, kind of thing. So let's flash forward to after police find them at the mailbox, arrest them, and they go to their house to do a search. When police search their homes and storage sheds, they find a treasure trove. They find a notebook where they had practiced signing Gary's name. Like, in preparation to, like, sign his credit cards and all of that. They also found a shit ton of white supremacist, anti-gay, and anti-Semitic literature. They found a, quote-unquote, hit list of 32 prominent Jewish and civic leaders in the Sacramento area. Here's the thing, though. About two weeks before the killings, there had been a lot of arson around the Sacramento area. And the arson cases were at three Jewish synagogues and one medical center that had an abortion clinic in it. Well, anytime there's any type of like arson attack on a place of worship, it automatically becomes a federal investigation. So the FBI is doing the investigating on all of these arsons and the local police are doing the investigations on Gary and Winfield's death. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the fires. On June 18th of 1999, the fires broke out at different points in the cities within a half hour of one another. They started at 3.19 in the morning. So police were like, these have to be coordinated as part of a larger plan to start these fires. The fires broke out at Temple B'nai Israel, and that synagogue is actually the oldest congregation, as they say, west of the Mississippi, and that one had the worst damage. Mm, gosh. They say its library is full of thousands of historic Jewish books and documents, and they were all destroyed. Wow. Do you know what pisses me off so bad about this? I mean, other than the fact that why are Jews always persecuted? But what pisses me off about this is that, like, there's no telling how old these books were, what these books survived as a part of, like, World War II. I mean, and I know that the Jews that were persecuted in World War II were not the only Jews in the world. So, obviously, there can be historical. But, like, think about the amount of history and money and like things of value and things that are priceless that have been destroyed as part of the fucking Jewish culture. And it is in 
infuriating because that's it just fucking sticks in my crawl that they're, they're those are things that they can never get back i know that there are many other populations that have been persecuted and have the same shit but it just breaks my heart because i think about all the art and all the books and all the everything that has been destroyed mm-hmm. and it just it makes my stomach hurt yeah the other two temples were Congregation Beth Shalom and Knesset Israel Torah Center. Now, those temples really only had smoke and water damage in their sanctuaries after the sprinklers came on. But either way, there was fucking damage. Someone set that temple on fire because it was a Jewish synagogue. I can't really find out what the damage was at the clinic, but it was called Choice Medical Group. And it, like I said, it just had an abortion clinic in it. All right, let's talk a little bit about the investigation of the fires and just all of the physical evidence. When police arrested them, they found a gun. It also had a makeshift silencer that was made of a water hose thingy, you know, that you put on the end of it to like sprayer. Okay, now let's go to the synagogues and the evidence that was left there they know that an accelerant was used it was a combination of oil and gas and at b'nai israel it was all over the walls the piano the altar seating areas literally everywhere but the fire actually extinguished itself after just a few minutes but like i said the library was a total loss they did find three black one gallon mobile oil jugs They found a torn piece of fabric tied around the handle of each of the jugs. There was trace amounts of debris that were on the mouth of the jugs. There were wooden crates with newspapers. And, okay, here's the thing. The newspapers were from Redding, California, which is 150 miles north of Sacramento. Because remember, the arsons happened in Sacramento. The brothers lived in Redding, California, which is just outside of where Gary and Winfield lived. So they were like, well, how in the fuck did we get this newspaper? Because again, this was this happened like two weeks before the murder. So they had no idea who did it at this point. So they're like, well, what are these newspapers from 150 miles away? There was all kinds of anti-Jewish propaganda that was strewn about the synagogues. Okay, the next little bit of evidence that they found was on the jugs. So they found paint chips that had like a light blue coat over a red coat, white cotton strips of fabric, white and brown dog hairs, different feathers, primarily white and brown, and just some other like fibers with different colors and textures and stuff. I know I'm jumping around. I'm sorry. I know this is probably confusing, but we're still going to talk evidence, but it's just going to be in a little different order. Okay, the day after Gary and Winfield were murdered, that's the day that the abortion clinic was set on fire. Originally, police thought that that clinic was set on fire by maybe the owner of the building for insurance money. And at first, it wasn't linked to the arsons at the synagogues. So it wasn't until the Williams brothers were on police radar after they went through their house and storage and all of that and found all of this material with the hit list and all of that, that they started putting two and two together. 
And then they were like, oh, shit, those newspapers were from Reading. Okay. You know, they're starting to really be able to put pieces together. All I picture is Ace Ventura being like, Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. Like, them putting it finally together. Yeah. Okay, so there was a crowbar, a black crowbar and a black wrecking bar that were found in the brother's car. Well, they had receipts showing that it was bought right before the synagogue arsons. Both of the bars had this powdered glass fragments embedded in them. Also, there was like some green paint. This is the importance. The glass, the powdered glass fragments was from the synagogues. The green paint was from the medical clinic. Oh, shit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Also, I do want to... Sorry, I know I'm like so ADHD and jumping all the fuck around today. But I found this paper by Faye Springer from the Sacramento County DA's office that was like basically this amazing list and like a, a paper about the forensic evidence. And so that's what I'm using for a lot of this part. So, you know, I just wanted to give Faye her credit. There was also some black paint transfer where they had used the crowbar at the clinic as well. So it was like, not only was there the green chips on that, there was also that black paint, you know, cause you know, they can use that. What is it? That uh, gas chromatograph or whatever, but it's how they like break down to see specifically the make, the model, the blah, 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 of these colors. Okay. To tell, like, no, 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 those are from the exact same, I don't know, parents. They found mobile oil bottles that were consistent with the bottles that had been recovered from the synagogues. They found that at their house. Okay, remember how the rags that were tied on the oil jugs at the synagogue, how it had, like, dog hair and, like, some feathers and shit in it? Mm -hmm. Just, like, picked up... I mean, you get something from my house, it's going to have fucking Bo's hair all over it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that was the same dog hairs and feathers from their parents' house. Because they had chickens and dogs. Okay. The red chip paints that had the blue over it that were found on the oil jugs is the same paint chips at the shed at their parents' house. On that silencer they found in the car... They found Tyler's palm print, and it was consistent with how you would have to hold it to, like, screw it on to the gun. When they were arrested and going into court and all of that, Tyler was very quiet, kept to himself, didn't say a damn word. Matthew was more the showboater, like the, hey, how you doing, smile, wave kind of thing to people. And you could kind of tell that Matthew was the ringleader and... Tyler was more of the follower. What police decided was that, because remember I said it was a federal and a state case. So they were going to let the federal case go first so that if they got the convictions from that, they could use that conviction as part of their murder trial to say, see, look, they are violent because they have no other criminal history other than that. And so it's like, how did they go from just being white supremacists to murderers. I feel like that's not a far leap. No, it's not. So the arson trials went first, and they were found guilty. And I think they were sentenced to like 30 and 20 years. Matthew got 30 and Tyler got 20, I believe, something like that. 
Then came the murder trial. And since it was considered a hate crime because they killed them because they were gay, they were able to seek the death penalty. Mm. Matthew was having none of it. He did not want to be sentenced to death. So he and another inmate at the jail, while they were awaiting the trial and sentencing and all of that, they honed in on a guard who is Jewish. And they decided to attack him and try to escape. They attack this guard and he fights them off for, I think it was like two full minutes before help arrived. Oh my gosh. And they beat him within an inch of his life. He ended up having multiple skull fractures that needed like four plates in his head. He, I mean, barely survived, but he did. Good. As part of his punishment, Matthew was put into solitary confinement. Not long after entering solitary confinement, he died by suicide by getting the blade out of a prison-issued razor and attaching it to a handle of some sort. I can't remember what it was from. And cutting himself. So Matthew left his fucking brother to fend for himself and do it all on his own, even though they had been literally partners in crime the whole time. Mm -hmm. Tyler, of course, was guilty. I think he took a plea. Tyler was sentenced to, I think, 21 years in prison for the murders and is set to serve that after his federal sentence. So he's for sure going to be in prison for 40 plus years. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Of course, Matthew's sexuality has come into question because because that's the fucking thing. People project and they are anti the things that they see most in themselves that Mm -hmm. they don't like. So he was raised to think that homosexuality was a sin and evil and all these things that it's fucking not. And so he could not... I think, reconcile in his brain his attraction to other men, and therefore he had to kill. And I think that he and Daniel had such a special relationship. Although they never talked about sexuality, I don't think that they had a romantic relationship. They had an interesting relationship. Like, they had pictures together. Like, I'm talking like... They went somewhere and had portraits made together. Yeah. That's not typical of 20-year-old dude friendship. You know what I mean? Yeah. Doesn't mean it can't happen, but, I mean, they looked like a couple in those pictures. And so I think that his time with Daniel was Matthew in turmoil, trying to figure out what he was feeling and all of that. And when he called and that mutual friend said that, oh, by the by, Daniel's actually out now. He couldn't reconcile it. Yeah. And so he took it out on the people that he knew were gay. Because in my very limited knowledge, I think that he was killing Daniel and killing what he hoped that he and Daniel could have been. Yeah. Do I know that for sure? Absolutely not. Is that some very basic psych bullshit? Yes. But I really think that that's what it was. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why it was overkill. Yes, exactly. Now, the synagogues and all of that, that's because they were, well, all of it's because they were fucking assholes. But that's because they were fucking white supremacist bullshit. And they were, like, getting involved in these national organizations and all of that. And there's a whole lot more to this 
on that side of it. But they attacked those synagogues because they were Jewish synagogues. And they killed Gary and Winfield because they were gay. It was a hate crime all around. Yeah. And fuck them. And fuck Matthew for leaving Tyler to do this by himself. I I really think, too, that part of it was that all of this was kind of going to be coming out about, like, potentially his sexuality. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't handle it. No. Daniel was even quoted saying, if Matthew told me he was gay, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And that was probably, other than his brother, his closest friend. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Oh, yeah, exactly what you said. Like, he would not... He's the same as that fuckface who captured those girls and who died by suicide in jail. Ariel Castro? Yes, because they cannot handle... And they don't want anything else to get out. They can't handle what they've done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, nope, can't do it. Gotta go, bye. And it's like... You've left all of these people in your, like... Wake of terror. Yeah, yeah. And here's the thing, is I don't mean that by any means as suicide in general, because I know that I don't understand... I I don't see that as the same. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see that as the same as, like, let's say, someone that we know that has died by suicide, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's not. They... I don't know. I mean, I don't know. What do, what do we know? Yeah, we don't. And even just like these two people, it's not the same as other cases that involve that. Like Ariel Castro is a whole nother fucking level because of what he said. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't survive in there. Like, you know what I mean? And But this is the same for Matthew. Oh, because he, he even wrote, before he did it, he even wrote a letter to... Tyler's attorneys to try to take complete blame of everything. So he did do that. But of course, they're like, this has no legal bearing and you're still going to jail. Uh, We literally have your palm print and like that was you on the recording and that was Matthew in the background being like, stay calm. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. you are part of this. So he couldn't handle the death penalty. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he did it. Mm -hmm. But then again, he does have some of the same like you know, you know he was dealing with some serious internal demons, though, trying to reconcile his sexuality with everything that he had been taught and lived up until that point. So, I mean, I guess who are we to say that it is different? Because maybe it's not with what he was dealing with. But the fact that he did it in jail after he had been caught, it's very... I don't know. I just don't like it. It's just icky. Well, and it's not like he was sorry for what he did or anything. He literally tried to kill a guard. Because he was Jewish. Yes. So, I mean, nothing had changed. He was in solitary confinement because of that. And he just didn't want to face what was ahead. Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think Daniel is a better friend than he thought he would be. And he thought something else might come out or something. I don't know. I'm not saying that they did anything, but just even speculation or whatever, you know, like, oh, my God, he's going to turn on me because I've done all of this stuff. Like, I killed homosexual people or. Well, and that's why I find it hard to believe that not find it hard to believe, but it's just interesting. Like, I feel like their friendship ended like pretty abruptly after four years. And it's like Mm -hmm. so in four years and taking like cute pictures together, like y'all never even kissed. You know what I mean? And, like, 
Daniel even says like he felt like there was an attraction there. So I don't know. It just seems almost like unrequited love, you know? Yeah. And that might be what Daniel's holding on to, that person he knew during those four years. He also said how guilty he feels because he said that he feels like Matthew was killing him by killing Gary and Winfield. So I don't know. You know, there's some guilt there. There's some I probably love still there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, I felt so sorry for Daniel for that guilt. I want to know what ended their friendship because something happened. It, yeah, there was because I don't think it was just him leaving the church and mm-mm. saying it was a cult and all that. I don't think it was just that. There was something that started the process with the church that started the demise, you know. I think it was some physical thing. Like, if there was an attraction, you know, like how you do the pinky thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, he touched my pinky and he's not going to move it. Okay, he likes me. You know, the, oh, my knee's touching his knee and he has it pulled away. He likes me. Like, something like that. And it was too long. And it was too real. Yeah, it's in a minute tailspin. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it was like, nope, can't be friends. And then went complete 180. Yeah. I'm really sorry for everyone involved. Because like you said, they grew up learning this hate. I just don't understand hating someone because they're different than you to the extreme of, I'm going to burn down their church. I'm going to kill them. Right. But also, you know, I feel like they had kind of gone off in the deep end with some of the white supremacy groups and all of that that I didn't even touch on. But they had also, I mean, that had been ingrained in them from the start because their parents were the same way. Their parents kept them separate. You know, it wasn't until they went to high school that they actually went to school. And not just that they were homeschooled, they were homeschooled in a keep them away from everybody, keep them in these ultra radical religious teachings, like that kind of thing. Not just like, oh, they were homeschooled. No, 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 no. They were like, let's keep them away from everyone in society because they're evil. Yeah. What also cracks me up, and I don't know if I'm going to even say this correctly, but when people are so... God's law is above everything, and man's law isn't. But they're men, like, we're men, and yet they, like, kill people. And so they're playing God. Well, and I mean, thou shalt not kill. It's almost like that, like, cognitive dissonance where they can't reconcile their want to, like, kill someone because they're different but that's against the Bible, but like it's almost like that outweighs the evil, quote-unquote, of someone not being Christian, someone not being, and I'm just saying Christian because that's what they were, but someone yeah. not being Christian, someone not being a heterosexual, cisgendered, you know? Yeah. We'll never understand. No, and because Tyler's keeping his mouth shut, I know this was a long story, so... Hopefully, uh, y'all followed because I know I jumped around a lot, but it was just so freaking much to tell y'all. And it's like, how do you organize all the stuff? I don't know. It was just hard to organize all the information because it just was. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, yours is a little more organized. Organized, but yeah. All right. So, I've been doing spooky, ghosty stuff lately. But I'm switching it up this week because I mentioned on the AMA as 
this being one of my favorite cases of all time, because it just leaves me scratching my head. I don't, I don't know. And so I'm dying to know your opinion and all the creepsters opinions, because like, I want to know your insight. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I don't remember us talking about this. That's not surprising. Maybe when you say it, I'll be like, oh yeah, I remember you saying that. She's going to be lying, y'all. Picture it, August 26, 2013. Bryce Las Pisa was an ordinary 19-year-old college student who had just started his sophomore year at Sierra College in Rockland, California. That day, he had checked in with his mom, Karen, and they had a great conversation, and he seemed excited for what the year held for him. He had always been creative, which led to him majoring in graphic and industrial design, And so now, being a sophomore, his classes were more specific to his major and not just freshman fluff. A little history on Bryce before we continue. He's an only child born on April 30th, 1994 in Naperville, Illinois. He was always the outgoing type who had a lot of friends. He was known as the life of the party. If his personality didn't make him stand out, his appearance sure did. He had bright red hair like super red hair and green eyes. He graduated from high school, and at the same time, his adoptive parents, Karen and Mike Laspisa, retired early. And so they all decided to move to California, saying goodbye to the freezing winters of Illinois. Retiring early is not in my vocabulary, but Mm -hmm. God, it sounds good. Retiring early isn't in my vocabulary because I'm still going to be paying off student loan debt. (laughs) Yeah. Unless I have like a rich uncle that I didn't know I had that for some reason leaves nothing to my three other sisters and my mom or my dad. I mean, I'm fucked. (laughs) That honestly sounds like it could be a Hallmark movie for Christmas. Like this rich uncle you didn't know leaves you like his estate, blah, blah, blah. You have to go. And the ranch in Colby. Y'all fall in love. Mm -hmm. All the things. And then it's like... In the floorboards, there is money, and you get to pay off your student loans. And the Grinch's heart grew three times that day. (laughs) Except for, I'd have to look at my sisters and go, hate, 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 (laughs) hate. I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) They moved to Laguna Niguel, but Bryce wanted some independence, and he moved about seven hours away to Rockland to attend Sierra College, which is a community college. During freshman year, he met a girl named Kim Sly, and they were soon Facebook official, and their relationship was great. He had a close friend who was also his roommate named Sean Dixon, and these were the two people he was most excited to see when he returned to school after summer vacation. Okay, jumping back into the timeline now. First, it was August 26th. Now we're moving to the next day, August 27th. Bryce's girlfriend, Kim, noticed that he just seemed different. She finally brought up all her concerns to him, and he confessed to her that he had taken Vyvanse, which is an ADHD pill. It was not prescribed to him, but he had taken it to stay up all night playing video games with Sean. He had a lot to drink that day and had begun regularly day drinking hard alcohol. Then, later that night, Bryce went a step further with his confusing behavior and gave away a pair of his diamond earrings that his mother had just recently bought him, 
and his Xbox that was basically his most valued thing in the world, he gave to Sean. And he had his ears pierced. He just didn't have, like, rando earrings. Well, I assumed. Well, you, like, did a, you were like... No, because I'm thinking, who the fuck gives away diamond earrings? Can you give them to me? (laughs) Well, those weren't the only things he purged. He also ended his relationship with Kim. He broke up with her via a text message that said, you'd be better without me. She responded, so how I would, are we breaking up? Question mark. And he confirmed, yes. So everyone who was close with Bryce at school was getting a little more anxious and keeping a closer eye on him. By the next day, August 28th, Bryce was at a point that he was acting so out of his normal character that Sean called Bryce's mom. We don't know what Bryce did to warrant Sean to actually call Karen, but we can all assume that it was enough to shake him to his core and be afraid of what his best friend might do. Sean told Karen that Bryce wasn't acting like himself and that he was worried about him. Karen took note, but she had just talked to Bryce only a few days ago, and he seemed excited and fine, so she didn't really worry about it. However, that night of the 28th, Karen received a call from Bryce, and he was at Kim's apartment in Chico, California, which is about 90 minutes away from his apartment. Bryce was extremely upset because Kim would not give him his keys. Karen asked to speak to Kim, so Bryce gave Kim the phone, and apparently he had come to talk about their breakup and stuff, and while he was there, he just kept acting very strangely, and Kim wasn't sure that he was in any condition to drive, and so she didn't want any guilt if something happened to him, and of course, she didn't want him to get hurt either. But Karen instructed Kim to give Bryce his keys back because he seemed lucid to her, could hold a conversation, all the things. But Kim did tell Bryce that she was going to book a flight out tomorrow to come spend some time with him. Because now, like in her mind, she's a little on edge because these are his people and they're both worried about him. But Bryce kind of stalled and told her not to book a flight until he talked to her because he has a lot to tell her. At 11 p.m., Karen and Bryce hung up the phone and Bryce left Kim's apartment. Karen assumed he was going home and she told him to let her know when he made it home. At 1 a.m., Karen had missed a call from Bryce because she was asleep. Well, early in the morning of August 30th, she woke up to find the missed call but didn't call back right away because she didn't want to wake him up since he was up late. She assumed he had just called to confirm he made it home safe and sound. However, later it's found out by a cell phone ping that he was about an hour south of his apartment. At 11 a.m., Karen received a call, but it wasn't from Bryce as she expected it to be. It was from their insurance company. They were informing her and Michael that their Toyota Highlander needed roadside assistance, and that's Bryce's vehicle. They called Bryce to check on him, but no answer. This went on for a bit, but then... Karen called Sean just to confirm, like, hey, Bryce is home, right? Sean informed her that Bryce never came home last night. So Karen and Michael checked their credit card account online because Bryce used their card. He didn't have a job during school, and they would give him an allowance. Well, there was a charge to the account, and it was from a place called Castro Tire and Truck in Button Willow, California. 
That's about three hours north of where they live in Laguna Niguel. So they assumed he's coming home to talk to them and tell them about whatever he needed to. So now they're in sleuth mode because they still weren't getting a hold of Bryce. So they called that tire and truck place and Christian, the man who answered the phone, was actually the person who dealt with Bryce. Karen explained the situation as any parent would and... She's like, I know this is weird as fuck, but how was he acting? You know, was anything strange? And Christian said he didn't notice anything off, but his eyes seemed a little red. But he said that he had supplied Bryce with three gallons of gas to get him to a nearby gas station. Christian is too pure for this world. And I think he just heard desperation in Karen's voice. So he offered to drive back to where he met Bryce and to see if he's still there. So Christian called Karen back and was like, good news, he's still here, and handed Bryce his phone so he could confirm that he was okay. Karen asked Bryce what he was doing, and he just replied, nothing. Just to note that he is in the same spot as he was three hours ago, on the side of the road. So she's like, okay, why don't you go to the gas station, fill up, and head on home? It would be around 3 p.m. when Bryce would make it there if he left at that exact time. But 3 p.m. came and went. And by 6 p.m., they still hadn't heard from him or seen him. He wasn't answering any of their texts or calls. And so they were frazzled. They didn't know what to do. So they called the sheriff's office and reported him missing. I don't know if it's because they are, I'm guessing, well off because they retired early and... White, I don't know, but these people, like, or this police force is just, like, on the fucking ball. They get after it. They ping his cell phone, and they head that way to find him. And they do find him around 9 p.m., and he's still in Button Willow. And he's only, like, eight miles from where he was earlier. This means he moved eight miles in the last nine hours. And has been in Button Willow for a total of 12 hours now. Just sitting on the side of the fucking road. I could have walked that in a faster amount of time. Right? The officers asked what he was doing and he replied, just blowing off some steam. So they asked if they could search his car. He complied. They gave him a field sobriety test, which he passed. And so they couldn't find a reason to detain him or anything. They were thinking they were going to find drugs since Karen had told them about his erratic behavior. Well, they had Bryce call his mom, but he seemed really reluctant to do it. So the officer actually dialed her number and told her, hey, Bryce is okay. Like, and then handed him the phone. Like, here it is. But here's the thing too, though. I mean, he's an adult, so... If he doesn't want to call his mom, I mean, you don't know what the family history is. You don't right. know what the dynamics are. Like, it, there could be a plethora. I mean, he could be abused and not want to call his mom because he's trying to escape from her. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And they're yeah. like, oh, his mom's looking for him here. Oh, by the way, here he is. And it's like, mm-hmm. but no, he's trying to escape. And you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Not that that's what's going on, but I'm saying you don't know the family dynamics. And so they can't just be like, no, 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 go, go. Let's take you home. You know? Yeah. I thought it was very weird that he dialed it and was like, talk to your mom. Hmm. Okay. 
Well, so she's like, what are you doing? And he, again, just answers matter-of-factly, I'm putting stuff back in my car because they searched my car. Knowing that's not what she's asking. Like, what are you doing? Because it's been fucking 9, 12 hours. You know, like, what the fuck? So Karen told him to go get some food and then get on 5 South because he's only 3 hours from home. And just an FYI, it said at this point, Bryce had been awake for at least 24 hours, but we think more. Around 11 p.m., Bryce called his mom to let her know that he was getting a drink from a gas station and he'd be home soon. But what they didn't know is that the gas station was located in Button Willow. But they soon found out because good old Heart of Gold Christian called them back because he had missed a call from them during the day and wanted to check in. They explained everything that had transpired and he was like, oh, I could go back and see if he's still there. And Karen and Michael are like, absolutely not. He's on his way home and don't bother yourself with this. Like you have done so much. Thank you, but no. But Christian insists. And when he got to the spot, there Bryce is still sitting This means he's now been in Button Willow for 13 hours. In the same spot? Yeah. I mean, what's he got a portalette next to him? I'd have died. (laughs) So this time, Christian told them that he's going to follow Bryce to the freeway towards their house to now make sure, hey, he's going to go home. And Christian did exactly that for about 10 miles before eventually turning around and going home. Now it's 1.50 a.m. and Karen told Bryce to stay on the phone with her because he should have been home a long time ago. So stay on the phone and periodically she would ask him like landmarks and stuff, but he would just say it's too dark for him to see anything, but his GPS said he would be there at 3.45. They got off the phone and then there's one final phone call at 2.08 a.m., because Bryce called his mom and told her that he just couldn't make it all the way because he needed some sleep. So he was going to pull off the highway in a well-lit rest area and he'd be home in the morning. She agreed that he shouldn't drive if he didn't think he could make it, so she said that she would see him in the morning. And by this time, Bryce had been up for at least 48 hours, but again, suspected to be much longer. At 8 a.m. on August 31st, Karen and Michael's heart sore because they heard a knock at the door, and so they know Bryce has finally made it home. But when they open the door, it's not their son, it's police officers. And they inform them that they found Bryce's Highlander overturned on Lake Hughes Road. They couldn't find him, but his vehicle and all of his personal belongings seemed to be there. Inside the car were his laptop and cell phone. Outside was a duffel bag that had been unzipped, and his wallet. They say that the back window had been smashed from the inside, and there were only a few drops of blood on the passenger headrest and some on the back seat. Nothing to be concerned over. So when Bryce told his parents that he was going to a well-lit rest area, he actually drove 90 minutes to Castaic Lake, and it was like this hill of power lines and then an embankment which is where his car was eventually found. There's CCTV footage, and it was implemented to take pictures of license plates, so it's not a video, but it shows Bryce going up the hill at 2.15 a.m., just after he spoke to his mom. 
And then another picture of him going up the same hill at 4.29 a.m., just an hour before his vehicle would be found at the bottom. So he made a circle. Uh-huh. But they can't—they don't have anything to prove where he went out of yeah. to come back. And then upon further inspection, investigators determined that he did not apply any brakes when he reached the drop-off. And so the tire tracks at the top showed that he was traveling at a high speed before plummeting the 25 feet and flipping on his side. What they think is that that area kind of creates an optical illusion and the lake looks like it's a lot closer to the cell tower than it is. And then there's an embankment, that drop off, and like it doesn't look like there is one. It looks like, oh, there's a lake. And maybe he didn't know that. So they think that he was trying to drive into the lake. Yeah, allegedly. Police searched the area for Bryce by any means necessary. Divers in the lake, helicopters, and... Of course, people were on foot, but sadly, no sign of Bryce. Nine days after Bryce disappeared, bloodhounds were used to try to track his scent, and they caught his scent, followed it to a dam on the lake, then went down south and toward the west side of the lake, and it stopped at a truck stop area on Castaic Road. Months passed with no new leads, So the family hired a private investigator who specialized in missing persons cases. She did it pro bono, and in August 2015, they hired a sonar specialist to search the lake using, like, sound waves and everything because they believed if Bryce had been suicidal, he would still be in that water. However, two 12-hour days brought up no new evidence. And the bloodhound tracked him to a truck stop. And then it disappeared, Mm -hmm. like he got in a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So Bryce's license, social security number, fingerprints, and passport have all been uploaded to the nationwide missing persons system, and his dental records are also available. So if someone comes forward with anything, they can verify. Well, now there's theories, because that's it. There's no other leads. Nothing else has You know, other than people like, oh, I think I've seen him, and it's not him. Again, they can verify it, and it's not. The private investigator believed Bryce had wanted to go home to Laguna Niguel because the coordinates were plugged into his GPS. And then this also led her to speculate that, okay, when he had that accident, he suffered a head injury, and it left him disoriented. Then with the blood, you know, like there's some blood, this, it could be a head injury. And so he could have like retrograde amnesia and not know who he is. And then also because he was using Vyvanse with lack of sleep, you know, having alcohol in his system before, obviously he passed a field sobriety test and everything, but like he had been partying hard for two weeks. So they were saying that that can make the amnesia last longer than usual. I don't know. Right, because it may not even have anything to do with the Vivance or anything like that. He could have a closed head injury that could result in, the, like you said, the amnesia, but also just a cognitive deficit where he can't figure things out. You know what I mean? 
So it wouldn't have all the blood and everything because it's closed, is what you're saying? Right. So, so when you have a head injury and you get a bang, depending on what it is, you, ha- you can have coup and contra-coup brain injuries, meaning you get, okay, so like let's say that I hit my head, I have a car wreck, and I hit my head on the steering wheel. Well, as my brain comes forward, it hits the front of my skull, causes an injury, and then as it flies back, it hits the back of my skull as well. And so I've got a coup and a contra coup. So a hit on both sides. A coup and a contra coup? (laughs) I want to be a brain surgeon just so I can say that kind of shit. I'm sorry, you have a coup and a contra coup? Okay, so... After Bill and I, the science guy over there, we have another thing from the private eye. She said there's a possibility that he had a mental illness before. And with everything going on, his partying, all of that, he just wasn't in the right state of mind. And he could have suffered a psychotic break from the drug use and everything. And so that was his erratic behavior. And just then all of this happened. And again had the head injury, blah, 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 blah. I mean, Vyvanse and Adderall, I mean, people call it like prescription meth for a reason, you know? Damn. Because those are stimulants. And it sounds like, okay, why in the fuck would you give someone with ADHD a stimulant? Like, they're already stimulated. But it stimulates the part of the brain that calms them down. So if you don't have ADHD, then it keeps you awake and lets you study longer and gives you more energy and all those things, where someone who truly needs the medication, it calms them down. Mm, okay. So that's why it's a stimulant. Your uh, medical jargon just reminded me that they said with Vyvanse, he couldn't tell, like, well, people can't tell when they're drunk as much. And so that might be why he was drinking so much more, because he couldn't tell because he was taking so much Vyvanse. Another theory is that Bryce wanted to start a new life. And so this one's popular because before he left, he gave Sean his Xbox. He gave away his mother's earrings. <sighs> Lucky bastard. <laughs> Those diamonds, though. The investigators are convinced that he's still alive and just doesn't want to be found. And again, there's no evidence. So they're like, if it was foul play, if it was anything, if he died by suicide, we would have a body. Mm-hmm. You know, all of this, nothing is there. So, like, he just walked away. And again, he's an adult. He can do that. Yes, because the dogs tracked him to the truck stop. Mm-hmm. So, again, he could have hitched a ride, and there he goes. And up and vanished like a fart in the wind. Yep. Well... Bryce's family, of course, says this is not it. Their son would never run away. And they said that he always felt open with them to tell them anything. And he would have told them if he was thinking this or felt pressure or blah, 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 blah. I will say that on the show Disappeared, people said that, like, they gave the parents a lot of shit. Like, I'm not even going into all of that, but it's, it's real sketch. I remember watching this on Disappeared, and I remember being like, don't victim blame, don't victim blame, you don't know the story, you don't know, you know, you're just getting pieces of it, but I couldn't help but find myself be like, he was three hours away, just go fucking pick him up. Yeah, well, yes, and not to victim blame, but 
yeah, he's three hours away. And okay, so he can't drive, but you and your husband can. So y'all drive, your husband drives the car back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you bring him back. Like, it's done. Yeah. And and again, we have no idea what we would do in this situation. Right. Like, none at all. But I just remember watching that being like, they could have gone and picked him up and been back for sure before the second time that Christian found him. Yes. But also, is it possible Christian did something? I was going to say that too. Like That's all that's mighty kind of him. Mhm. It sure is. Did they talk to him the second time? They did. Okay, 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 okay. They did. So that's why I think like probably not because I mean he really could just be a nice human being, but also they talked to him both times. So yeah. But Christian could have kept following him. You know, who knows? Because if you think about it, if you want to, like, just put on your uh, conspiracy theorist hat, Christian worked at the tire and truck thing. Button Willow is a tiny town. It's like a truck stop, basically. And so if anyone breaks down, anyone needs roadside assistance, they call that place. Mm -hmm. So he knows anyone who is in trouble, whatever. And then this kid... Doesn't want to fucking talk to his parents. Doesn't want to do all of this. Like, if you were into anything sketch, be like, he's a perfect person to pick up, to do whatever, because, like, he acted real sketch. Like, no one's going to bat an eye because he's been here for uh, 13 hours. But I feel like if Christian was going to do something, he would have done it the first time that he went back, and he was like, shit, he's still here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless he really had him captured the whole time and was forcing him to make the calls, like, with a gun to his head or something, you know? But the police found him. True. Yeah. So that's why I think Christian was just a really nice guy. I think he really is just too pure for this world, because, wow. Also, though, he might just be nosy as fuck like I am, because I'd be Mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, no problem. I'll go by there. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, like, I'm going by there anyway, because I got to see if he's still there. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, then that brings us to the other theory, and that is Bryce died by suicide. So, again, him giving away his belongings, that's, like, you're not planning on coming back. Right. He was self-medicating. Yeah. Just like you said, the two weeks before, he had, you know, completely changed. He was self-medicating with the Vivance and the drinking. Which are uppers and downers. Terrible combo. Mm -hmm. Which is known to cause suicidal ideations and again he was accelerating when he was going he didn't try to stop he didn't try to do anything and Mm -hmm. so it seemed to be on purpose and he crashed was disoriented freaking out and then what that's what we don't know right and then there's something that isn't like what happened to bryce but kind of like why button willow because again it's a blip on the map like they're saying that he might have been waiting for a drug deal. Like, if he was coming down from Vivance and stuff like that, people said, like, on Reddit and everything, like, look, I've been there. I've done, you know, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. Like, if a, if my dealer said, hey, be here, don't leave, like, I'm going to be there and not leave. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, hmm. And then they said maybe the dealer like, sketched out on him, or, you know, like, whatever, like, sorry, dude, can't make it, don't have any, whatever. 
So that's when Bryce got upset, and that pushed him over the top. But wouldn't his cell phone records show that? Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know the reports, but no one said anything like, oh, yeah, it's got all these calls, all these texts, all of these whatever. However, he could have had a burner phone. Could have. However, what the fuck did he do in his car for that long? Because, one, he only had three gallons of gas. That ain't going to keep you cranked. The weather better have been fucking nice because I'd have been sweating my balls off. It was like 85 degrees. No, uh-uh. Ain't nobody can have, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> no. No, thank you. No, ma'am. A lot of people say if he walked away from his life with no memory or anything, he might be part of the homeless population in California. And that's where a lot of people have thought they've seen him. He's 5'11", bright red hair and green eyes. Yeah. Yes. So, I don't know. But I have my own little theory, of course. Hit me with it. All right. So, one thing, there's no evidence of him. So, if he did want to die by suicide... I feel like he would have found a way after that. Like, well, shit, that didn't work. I'm going to do something else. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But his body would have been close by. It wasn't. Or if he wanted to die by suicide, he crashed but survived. It could have been like, what the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my gosh. You know? And, like, he decided to walk away from his life right then. Mm -hmm. Like, holy shit, I was pushed to that point? Like, no way. But I was thinking, too, like, if he had planned to walk away from his life, maybe he thought that he could, like, get rid of his Highlander in the lake. Like, dump it in the lake, get out, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But he didn't didn't think about the embankment, that drop-off. Which is why he survived, though, and kicked the window out. Yeah. But do you think if he was going to pretend to die by suicide in the lake— that he would have already had the window, like, kicked out so that he could escape. Because once that shit starts going underwater, you may not get it down. Yeah. Sidebar, speaking of, our headrests are uneven, like one bar is longer than the other, because that's what that shit's made for, to break your window. If you're ever going in water and you can't get your window down or break it with your hand or anything like that, use your headrest. Yep. I think I've said that before, but still. (laughs) Well, and then, so his duffel bag was open. And they're like, all of his stuff is here. His wallet's here, his blah, blah, blah. But what if he had cash stowed away Mm -hmm. and that's what he got? And he was like into digital design and all of that. So like he might have had a little passport that he made. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't know. But I'm just saying like, if he was planning this. Yeah. I feel like that's, like, he had a little, like... Go bag. Yeah, like a tote within the tote. hmm And so he he probably did walk to the truck stop. It was like, wherever you're going, I'm going. And then is wherever. Or he might have made it to the truck stop, got in, and just was very unlucky and had someone who was a nefarious character. And they killed him. Because he's got no one. What if he didn't remember his, like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Like, what if he was disoriented or whatever? And they're like, well, this is a perfect person. You know, like, you never Mm -hmm. know who who you're going to get. That's why hitchhiking is so dangerous. Hell, we just did. I survived on Mary Vincent. And she hitchhiked. I mean, she survived, obviously. But, whew. I think he walked away. But I honestly think he's dead. Mm -hmm. I think so, too. Because I just feel like. By now, someone would have come forward of something. 
And, like, he has a tattoo, like, a distinctive tattoo and just everything. How do you keep that hidden? And and I keep thinking, too, like, what if he just, like, walked into the lake? The car didn't work, so he just fucking walked in. But they didn't find his body. But how deep and how... It's a man-made lake. Okay, so not that big. But if they're having to use fucking sonar, I mean... But it's also two years later. They did diving before, you know, like right after. So I don't know. So what do you think? I don't know. I do think he's dead. Where is he dead? I don't know. But the fact that the dogs traced him to the fucking truck stop is weird. And it was two dog, like it was two different dogs on two different days. But you also said it was like nine days later. So could someone from the search parties like picked up his scent, like carrying something of his or walked through something of his? And true, I don't know. I don't know if that is that how dogs' noses work. Beats me. Is that how scent works? I don't fucking know. I just know don't stand downstream of it. That exact. I was about to say the same fucking thing. Downwind though, but you get the point. Yeah. So I don't. I don't know. Like I said, could they have picked up something and then it just because nine days is a long fucking time. Like, a long time. But I just still, I still am not understanding really how, and this is not, like, from your story, this is just, like, in everything that I've seen on it. I just still don't really understand how big the lake is, and is it possible that he is actually in the lake and just hasn't been found? But would he have floated up from, like, gases and stuff? Because there was nothing weighing him down. It's not like the fucking mafia took him out, you know what I mean? We don't know. True. I don't think he was waiting on a drug deal, though. I think that it just happened to be where he broke down from needing gas, and that's where he stayed. So where do you think he was going? Because I don't think he was going home. I think he put that in his GPS so he could tell his parents, like, it says I'm going to be here, there, at yeah, whatever. Because why would he stop there? Because how, would you, how do you run out of gas? It's like a seven-hour drive. You know you have to get gas. But, like... He's not in his right mind, though. Yeah. You're trying to put that, him being able to problem solve that out on him when he's potentially coming down off of uppers and downers. But shouldn't he just, like, if that's the case, wouldn't he have been on, like, a major interstate then and done it, not, like, go off on this rando Not necessarily. You don't know if he took back roads the whole way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, unless his GPS had, like, the little breadcrumb features and that's... Like it, no, you know what I mean. Yeah. You remember that car I used to have that, like, mm-hmm. had the it would like drop breadcrumbs, is what it called. So yeah. You always knew where you just left. So I mean, unless his GPS had that, there's no way of fucking knowing which direction he took. Yeah. You know what I think about when I think about traveling in California? Movies, how they're always on these fucking back roads <laughs> with, you know what I mean, with no gas station for miles and miles and miles yeah. in the desert. You know, like that's what I'm picturing. Was that where he was? I don't fucking know, but that's what my brain processes. Yeah. So you don't know how how far it was in between little towns where he was able to get gas. And I don't know that he knew where he was going. I think he was just driving. He had the fight with his girlfriend and he was just trying to get away wherever that may have taken him. Mm. So, of course, I went down a Reddit rabbit hole and I found that one year ago, a Reddit user I-C-C-I-Z, they said, I'm just going to read what they have because it's whatever. They said, there are some things I'd like to clear up. For reference, I am very close with someone connected to Bryce and who was there during this whole ordeal, but I can't say who due to privacy and his family being insane. Again, this is what they're saying. 
I'll put this into categories to make it clear. Drinking and drug use. This person said Bryce actually drank a lot during the school year and his parents even drank with him as a summer prior to his disappearance because he stayed at home during that whole summer vacation. Which is not unheard of. That makes it sound so like nefarious and it's not. Oh, his parents drank with him. Yeah, so do a lot of parents with their college kids. That's true, but he's underage. Okay, well, a lot of parents go, okay, you're 18, cool, you can do whatever you want to. I know, but it's against the law. I know, I'm just saying, though. I know, but again, but they're saying, no, no, because on Disappeared, he's perfect. He lit up a room. He, you know what I mean? They, of course, nothing was wrong with him. He, But that doesn't mean anything was wrong with him. That means that they just partied together. No, I know, but how they're saying it, he was... He drank maybe a little bit, but not, you know what I mean? Okay, like that's different. But. Yeah, which is why people came for the parents. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, are y'all in denial or are you hiding something? Right. Then he had a history of drug use. At parties, he was known to always have a sixth sense for who had drugs. He would often do anything offered to him without asking what it was, as long as it worked within his probation drug test schedule. Because, yeah, he was on probation for something. Mm. So he, you know, like, not saying he's a bad kid or, you know, like, whatever, but there's a past. Yeah. I mean, he could be on probation for God knows what. Right. And this person said that he had just finished probation in July right before his disappearance. So did he binge? Mm. They said even from just smoking weed with others soon before his disappearance, he became so paranoid. He thought people he was with were going to kill him. And then due to his previous drug charge, which is why he's on probation. Yay. Now we know. God. You pulled a carry. Research. His parents said if they ever found out that he did drugs again, they'd financially cut him off. Which I said before, they paid for everything while he was in college. So now they're saying behavior is the next thing. That disturbing behavior that prompted Sean to call Karen was that Bryce was hallucinating and he talked to Jesus and was just all around paranoid. Then he drove to Kim's house in Chico unannounced. So he it wasn't like he was like, I'm coming, let's talk this out, mm-hmm. whatever. But Bryce was so erratic Her roommate took note. Apparently, he was a calm, loving boyfriend, but that evening, he was shoving her, yelling at her, and that prompted her to take his keys. To those who saw him that week, they say he, quote, looked crazy, having the absent look in his eyes like someone who was on drugs, but nobody's home. When he was packing to leave, he gathered all of his boxers, but only like one or two outfits. So just like rando Mm -hmm. packing and, you know, like, what? Now the parents. When Bryce told his mom he wanted to talk to her about something right before leaving Ken's, he actually told her it was about his drug use. Yes, they say he didn't say why, and speculation is because they're so narcissistic. Again, this is what this Reddit user is saying. The parents and family members blackmailed someone close to him to gain sole access to his memorial page and for them to leave his investigation alone and not talk to the public, whatever. And they pressured him a lot to be successful and stuff. So, again, that kind of ties in with how people were talking about on Disappeared. They they kind of just, like, rainbow-washed everything. Mm-hmm. Like, 
he tells us everything. I don't know why, like what he had to tell us and, you know, all of that. And it's like, we were super close. We were this, we were that. And it's like, what if they weren't? Right. And what if he was like, okay, so he had done drugs before, just got off of probation, had this slip up and was like, I have so much to tell you because like, hey, what if a mental illness, like what if he was feeling, you know, like whatever. And he had all of this. But he probably, he might have told them. Who knows? Well, but again, in any situation, people are always going to make themselves sound better. So anybody's parents are going to make it sound like they're closer than they are, that they told them everything, that everything was coming up roses and all the things. And then other people are always going to be like, well, that's not how it was at all. Complete opposite. Yada, yada, yada. You know? Yeah. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. Exactly. They said that those close to him don't believe that he has memory loss or he died by suicide. They believe he either left to not disappoint his parents. Two, he's resourceful, so he's either living off the grid or got in with the wrong people, may have been murdered. Or three, one of his connections picked him up at the gas station truck stop, Mm -hmm. you know, area where his scent ended. And they said that's why he called his voicemail so much, like to wait on his connection to pick him up. And they said and kept driving past where he crashed to find somewhere good to ditch the car. Again, I don't know because we don't have the phone records Mm -hmm. to see what happened. So I guess he was just calling to see like if the person was like five minutes away, 10 minutes. So, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then they kept driving past is because he looped that twice. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's what they have. But it's, if this person is true and they are closer to this, it has some more insight. I want to know what happened. Like, this, I think about this case all the freaking time. This is probably the one case that has stuck with me the most of that show disappeared out of all the cases that I've watched on that. What about Mara Murray? This case. Damn. I don't know what the answer is, but I know that it's not our jobs to blame people. And even though you want to, and you want to just be like, why didn't y'all blah, 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 you know, it's easy to do that, but it does no one any good. And it only causes hurt and we're not the investigators, you know? Yeah. Should the investigators look at all angles? Absolutely. But I don't know. That just, it feels icky to be like, bad mouthing the parents to be like, well, they should have blah, blah, blah. Because again, who the fuck knows what you do in that situation? But on the flip side of it, I'm like, why didn't they go get him? Yeah. Well, y'all tell us what y'all think. Could aliens have abducted him? No. (laughs) One theory she is sure, like, no. These two stories have, like, timeline stuff, so we hope that you uh, took note, you have your murder board going, like, all the things, because, It's interesting, too, because neither one of ours really have a conclusion. Because, like, while mine has a conclusion in that Matthew died by suicide and Tyler's in prison, there's still a conspiracy that they were part of a bigger white supremacy organization that was responsible for the arsons as part of, like, a bigger plan, you know? Yeah. And I didn't really touch on that a whole, whole lot. So you could do, like, a whole thing on that. And then, hello, your whole thing is a conspiracy. I know. Oh, why I love this one is he really just vanished. Mm -hmm. Like, where is Bryce? And that 
I know people can dye their hair and everything, but it's like, there's something about a ginger that... Stands out. Yeah, they're always going to be a ginger. No matter what color their hair... Like, you know what they're natural... Like, I don't know. It's just... Mm -hmm. They got an energy. They got everything. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I will tell you one thing. If he is alive and he hears, like, podcasts, all these, like, TV shows that have done stuff, he has such restraint. Because I would have called people. I would have, like, wanted just to hear someone's voice. You know what I mean? Like, to call and hang up. Or, you know, whatever. Like, I could not just disappear. The thing is, though, is that if you did just disappear, you wouldn't feel that way because you wouldn't want all those people to know because then you would be in this shitstorm of media frenzy that would not end for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And he disappeared because he didn't want to be found. Yeah. Oh, I just know I have no self-control for that. Well, that's why you haven't disappeared. <laughs> I could not disappear. They'd be like... No, everybody fucking recognizes you from fucking pre-K. You didn't even go to pre-K. And they're like, this bitch was in my pre-K class. <laughs> I mean... Oh. Well, like I said, y'all tell us what the fuck y'all think, because this was some shit. Yes, please tell us. Please. We need to start a thread on the Facebook group to be like, what do you think? Yes. Yes. Why am I doing that? Did somebody say steak? <laughs> this was a long episode, so thank y'all so much for sticking with us. Don't forget to subscribe and review and all those things. And we have been seeing y'all's reviews. And thank y'all so much. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That helps us so, so much. We understand that not everybody can join Patreon. And that is one way that every single person listening can help us is reviews. So thank you for those of you who have. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.